This podcast is a 98 Studios production. Hey, it's Christy. Welcome back to Do The Work. Today and every day, we will talk about things that really matter. You, your thoughts, your feelings, and your experiences. Relationships are what matter most, and they can be complicated. If you'd like a better connection with yourself, with others, and with God, you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Welcome back to Do The Work. Thanksgiving has come and gone, and we are thick in the Christmas season. And for those of you who listen regularly, you know that my podcasts are about addressing real-life issues and having conversations that can and will help individuals find greater connection with themselves, with others, and with God. I want to talk about generosity. I want to talk about giving. I want to talk about what it does to us when we choose to give of our time talents, financial resources, and more. December is a very natural time to think about giving. I'm hoping that the things you hear this month on this podcast will inspire you for the next 11 months and for the rest of your life to find ways to give, and in giving, find renewed strength to move through whatever is going on in your life. One of my favorite men who has now passed on James Faust said, we torture ourselves when we focus more on getting than giving. And you know, I don't believe in torturing ourselves. I believe in peace and that we can live in a world of chaos, but we can have peace in our hearts and in our mind. So we're going to talk about that today. I have invited my new friend, Skip Brooks, to be here with me this week on Do the Work. I was introduced to Skip one evening at his office. And from the moment I walked into his office, I knew Skip was different. Skip is a collector of beautiful and meaningful things. Several times, as he was describing a painting or a tapestry or an artifact of some kind, I would hear him or our mutual friend, Ken, say that he wanted to give it to this, to this person or to this institution or this church. By the time I left his office— my own arms were full of gifts that he'd given me for myself and for my grandchildren. Treasures, one of which I still can't believe that I have. I wanted to chat with Skip about this generous nature. Welcome, Skip. Thank you. I'm not done with your introduction, but it feels like we should hear your voice before we move on. <laughs> so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here. How are you feeling about being here? I think this is a great spot. My heavens. Oh, isn't this? Congratulations to those who put it together. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. So happy to be here. So Skip, I'm going to share a little more about you to get a little more of a background. Um, this comes from a book that you actually wrote. But your friend wrote the introduction for you, and I've just taken parts of it. While caravanning home from a family vacation in August of 1998, Skip came upon the family's second car overturned on the freeway. His wife, Charmaine, and 19-year-old daughter, Lizzie, both tragically died in the accident. His wife was instantly killed, yet his sweet daughter was still alive. Holding her in his arms, he could feel her desire to stay, and yet a stronger force was calling her home. The event changed his life forever. Perhaps, of all the messages that would come, to him, one was made perfect and clear. I am not in charge. And that makes me want to cry because that's the worst. <laughs> that's when you really come to understand that. It's freeing, but it's also 
this invitation to let go of all the ways that we try to control in our life. So that I loved reading that in your bio. Rather than becoming a victim, looking for someone else to blame or making life difficult for others, Skip chose to apply his lifelong philosophy to this challenging situation. Do the loving thing. Instead of questioning why me or why my family, and Skip, tell me your family. So Lizzie was one of how many children? Lizzie was actually one of five boys and five girls. We lost one little boy. How old was he? Just stillborn, but mm-hmm. but but had a heartbeat. Full term. It's yeah. my, my my belief that all those that come to this earth that get one breath get their body back. Yeah. Anyway, that's yes. another subject. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay, so ten children. Yeah, nine were living at the time. Nine. Yeah. Now we have only eight left. Well, we have eight, eight plus all of the next posterity, which is most excellent. So it is most excellent. That's great. Okay. So instead of asking why me, why my family, he asked, what can I do for my surviving children? What can I do to help others see the Father's plan? What can I do to comfort those who do not understand? Skip, last night, I actually watched the funeral of your wife and your daughter. You could hear and see and feel the love for Charmaine and Lizzie. We were in no rush to, to do this. Uh, nor to bury uh, both Lizzie and Charmaine. I mean, here I'm, oh, I don't know how old I am, but I'm not very old. And I, I don't, I wasn't into into places to, at cemeteries. I had to go find one and yeah. and then buy it and, you know, do all the things that were preparatory. Yeah. But the one thing, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share what comes to my mind because I know how it gets there. That's great. But, um, uh, one of the great things that took place here is that uh, my wife and, uh, and my family had already been sealed mm-hmm. in the temple um, as Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my remember, my daughter's only 19, and she had never been endowed. Mm-hmm. And so I petitioned the first presidency to see that my daughter would be endowed in advance of her being so she could be buried in, in, in her temple clothes. And, uh, wow. and, and it took about a week to get that done. Mm. But it did get done. Wow. So sweet. And as I watched the funeral, I was so touched. All, uh, so let's see, eight of your children spoke. Your youngest was how old? She's only about six years old, I think. Yeah. And you had a few that were married with their own uh, children. Yeah. Uh, two were married. My oldest son and my oldest daughter both were married. Well, if you watched carefully the dancing of my oldest daughter in that, she, she's pregnant. I thought yeah, so. Yeah. It was so beautiful. Yeah. So Lizzie was a dancer and so were all of your daughters. Obviously they weren't up there. For yeah. The interestingly time. enough that they did play the, her dancing in a video that didn't show in, in that. And I don't know how that didn't get in there, but yeah. It's but here's a young girl who had just been just most amazing with all she did with her friends and yeah. and with her whether she was a cheerleader or a student or found things that she loved to do. Yeah, she was she, she had accomplished some things that were pretty amazing. We'd always do things together as a family, and one was we would go to this little town in Car- near Carmel in Monterey called Aptos of where my grandfather Ray kind of raised me after my parents were separated and uh, as a boy. And uh, 
anyway, the other thing we would do is that we would go skiing together as a family and we'd go to Bear Lake up, up, up Beaver Mountain and, yeah. and, uh, and we'd go every single day, every, every, every year we'd go at the same time. I had taught skiing at BYU as well as coached the swimming team at one time. Yeah. I had an amazing experience. This was the, the, the winter before the summer and, she, and we were skiing and, and she said, dad, come ski with me. And so, sure, sweetheart, I'll come with you. I said, there was a, they have a, an amazing mogul hill. And I watched her ski down those moguls, and I thought to myself, I have never seen anybody do that like that. And so when I got back, um, I went to the sporting goods store uh, in Foothill Village mm-hmm. Sports Den. Mm-hmm. And I went to my friend Mark and said, Mark, you have all these coaches for the Olympic team to come down here all the time. You, you probably know them. And I said, do, do you think, do you think they would, you, you, you know, that you know that I know something about skiing. I mean, I mean, I'm not just, I'm just not another dad, but I really think somebody should see this girl anyway. So the quick story going forward, uh, he got an appointment and, they, and we went up to, we went up and drove up to uh, Snowbird and the, the, the coach of the, of the women's team met us. And I said, um, uh, uh, I said, he, I thought I was going to go ski with him. And she said, no, I'm taking her. Go ahead and have a seat. We have a seat. And so <laughs> I got the seat. Anyway, they went up, they went up uh, skiing and came back. And, and she said, he just said, you know, she's a pretty good skier. I mean, she's a very good skier. And I said, but, and then I'm, I'm kind of looking. I said, did you ski the moguls? Did you ski the moguls? And she, he said, no. I said, will you please go ski the moguls with her? Okay. So he came back and he came back and said, I want her. Really? <laughs> I want her. Wow. And I had to take a tele, remember we didn't have cell phones then. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I remember one, one, uh, as soon as winter came, I got a telephone call from, and this, it was the coach on the, on the phone and says, I'm, we're, we've got, we've got a place for Lizzie. We're go, we're going to go. I didn't realize they go up to Oregon or Washington and some ski place that they start their season with. And I said, I'm sorry, but she's not here. Oh, it was after she passed. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, she's, she's, she's not here. And she said, what do you mean? She said she was, she, she died in an automobile accident in my arms. Oh, skip. Uh, anyway. Sakes. <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm guessing there's snow in heaven. So <laughs> anyway. Wow. You had a unique experience when you came upon Charmaine and Lizzie. You could see that Charmaine was already gone. Yeah. But Lizzie was not. Lizzie was not gone. And I put my hands on her head to give her a blessing. Mm-hmm. And the spirit simply said, she's going home. I mean, that's pretty hard if you hold the priesthood and you want to give somebody a blessing. And so that's, it, it made, it made, uh, it made a lot of things interesting, and I'll share a couple that come to my mind that I never really shared with anybody, but there were a couple of people in my ward that later told me the story that they had a dream and that they had seen the accident and seen where Charmaine was telling Lizzie, come on, we got to go. We can't stay here. We have to leave. And she was leaving, and, and as she went. But I would I would come back. I would just kind of take this back to the trip that we always took. I, I love books and, uh, I got an, I've got a goodly number 
Yes, you do. Uh, and and <laughs> that was what I coveted most at your office. Yeah, <laughs> all your well, books. Well, they're all in my house, most of them. But oh. there's a lot there. But but more importantly is that uh, so um, what happened it was very very interesting. Well, I got to go backwards a little bit with something else that I I brought a copy to give to you. But one of the great great things about God is that he 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 gives us insight. He gives us light. And I've shared with you before that yeah. uh, this father is uh, and this son are in the light business. Yeah. And if you don't look for the light or don't have a tool to use it in your life, you're going to miss something along the way that you should have never missed. <laughs> now, back to the point. While I was in the process of doing this, I came to a, to a time that I had to choose a book to take with me. And I came after everybody had been there for about a week yeah. in this little beach town. And, uh, uh, and as I was doing so, I picked out a book. Now, the home that I rebuilt, uh, I bought from Ezra Taft Benson mm-hmm. at the time was the Secretary of Agriculture. Yeah. But he was also the, he also was chosen at the end of World War II to go and care for all people, including the saints mm-hmm. that were that were devastated. Now in, this in is, Germany. Pardon me? In Germany. In Germany, yeah. Okay. And so um he would go he would he would go he was given a blessing to go on the wings of faith. Mm-hmm. And the book was written by Henry Babel called On the Wings of Faith. Mm-hmm. And they would go into places like we are sitting here and these guys are here and, and they said, we need to get on that airplane and we need to go here. And they said, there's no way that there's a 20 people ahead of you and it's not going to happen. And he, and he would simply say, we'll just be sitting here. Let us know when we can board. I mean, and these were just like normal airplanes, not yeah, no military things, you know, anything you can get from point A to okay, point B okay. or you could have it. And he had a, he had a, um, a pass signed by Eisenhower. Do you do anything you can for this guy? And he's the general of, yeah, the, of yeah. you know, everybody. So people are obedient to whatever's going on. Yeah. But here's what's really special. So I take this out of this. I guess it's people say I have 10,000 books, but let's just say I got a lot. Yeah. So I take one book with me. The accident happens on August the 15th. I finished the book on August the 14th. Hmm. And I would read the only question that I would ever have, ever have, mm-hmm. the night before. I would need the answer. This is what this is what happened. Here is a woman sitting in a ward that probably had 450 people before the war. Now they were lucky to have a handful. Mm-hmm. And she was sitting in the front row. And the description that I envision in my mind is that if she took off her clothes, they would disintegrate, nor her shoes, they would not be able to be of any value. Because they were just so ragged and torn. Absolutely. Just envision that. Yeah. Now, this woman asks Elder Benson, now he's a new apostle. Yeah. He said, oh, I need to know what happens to my family. My hu- <laughs> My husband... My husband was killed. I buried my three children with a spoon on the edge of the road, traveling away from all this danger. 
And this was his answer. I promise you in the name of the Lord that every blessing that they would have had if they had sojourned on this earth will be granted them. The day before your wife and daughter passed away. Yeah, so I finished that. And my only question what I'd ever have is that what happens to this beautiful daughter who doesn't get to have a family? Mm-hmm. Not true. Of all the names that I've read in all the scriptures, the New Old Testament, Book of Mormon, everywhere, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, Book of Moses, the Savior, only one time that I've ever ever said that I've ever seen uh, what he calls himself. He says, my name is Endless. Hmm. It takes me to the other document I was starting to mean to you. The Declaration of Independence, when it was written, in fact, they can't see this, but if I can take this one thing out of this book, this is the original doc- Declaration of Independence. And as you look at it, there, there, it was, it was, it was printed in, it was uh, written by Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and and uh, Benjamin Franklin, and uh, John Adams, and uh, and um, uh, Thomas Jefferson were all kneeling in prayer, holding that. This is a bronze, by the way, that yeah. I silhouetted into this. But yeah. here's the point I wanted to make: this has three different full-page columns, and if you notice carefully, who signed it? Everybody. <laughs> All the people, <laughs> all all of those that were in the committee yeah. that that represented the states that yeah. the, or the Congress. Okay, but it's not the final document. Yeah, and the final document's not like the first document. Everything in this middle section in red was taken out of it, mm-hmm. but what's in blue was added. And what nobody knows mm-hmm. is the final words that were added. And I underlined them here, and I'm going to give this to you, but. Uh, it says, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, mm-hmm. they pledged everything that they had. They knew that God had to play a role if this government was to, to be able to become what it could become and if the people could become what they needed to become. So anyway, that kind of gives you down that road. So to trust, we're talking about generosity. And as I'm listening to you speak, I'm hearing you say, we believe in a God that is generous and a country where saying, hey, really, like he matters. And I want to say this, Skip, because I think his generosity showed the night before you came upon your wife and your daughter. It's called a tender mercy. But the generosity of God to give you the answer mm-hmm. before you knew you had the question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, as I watched the funeral last night, Skip, I was so touched because all eight of your children spoke, and Lizzie's, was it Lizzie's boyfriend that spoke? He was the one that was driving the car. Oh, you're kidding. And he's the one that fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, stop. Oh, he was so sweet. And so he was her boyfriend. Yeah, they, 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 they were really, really good friends, and they were such good friends, we brought them to, with that, yeah. Here's what I loved, and what I want to really talk about because so often when we think about generosity, we think about financial um, like means to give someone. But I watched you in that funeral. There were a few things that were most touching to me, and there were many, many things that were so beautiful about that funeral. But number one is anytime someone was done speaking, <laughs> you would stand up and you would give them like a real hug. 
thank you. Uh, I'm grateful for you. You matter kind of a hug, no matter who it was. And whether it was the musicians, well, you didn't do it with like 30 of Lizzie's friends. I didn't yeah, see that, but yeah. but I think you had given them flowers. They, they, where did they get those flowers they were holding? Do you remember? The did flower. you see? They they had these long oh, the, lilies. Oh, the girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah the we girls. gave them all those. Yeah. We bought those and we bought... At the end, we gave everybody an ivy plants. We wanted to give something, something they could grow yeah. to remember what they had, what they had received. It's <laughs> so yeah. sweet. Anyway, so the hugs were so tender to me to watch you get up, and then after you spoke, to see your son was it Peter? Peter stand up and hug you, like I got you, Dad. <laughs> that felt generous. That felt loving, kind. And then the other part was when your youngest, what's her name? Olivia. Olivia was speaking and she got up and she got emotional. And then you watch you come up to her and you kind of grab her and hold her. You said, should we do this together? She says, yeah. And you start reading and then she whispers in your ear, I'll read the next parts. (laughs) Like, like I got this, Dad. Thank you for standing next to me. It was so tender. It was so generous. And I just thought, you know, because when I met you, I've met you now, can can I ask your age? I'm 84. Okay. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I met you at 84 and I thought, well, maybe all of your life experiences, you know, you're 84, you've learned a lot. You've turned your pain into wisdom. But you had it. You had it at, if that was 25 years ago, where you were in your 50s, mm-hmm. you had you had that generosity then. And so, Skip, I want to talk about your gener- Again, I'm walking through your office. You're like, I want to give this to so-and-so, and I want to give this to them, and I want to do this to that. When did you learn that generosity brings joy? And it's not, a, it's not really a give. It's almost a get when you give. When did you learn that? Were you young? When you said, I had forgotten you told me before that your parents were divorced. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've had a lot of pain in your life. You know, you, you and I have talked a little bit about these things and uh, about the depression and, and, and about pain and, and suffering and all these things you go through. But, you know, you can either let these things take over or you can, or you can set them, you, you can accept them and, and find the loving way that you're going to, you're going to proceed and do. Yeah. It takes away, it doesn't mean that you can't feel you can't feel the sorrow or feel the loss, right? But if there is a if there is a plan of happiness, then we need to be able to do the things that bring happiness. And the only way that I know that 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 works is that is when you have happiness has something that, that has something to do with others. Mm-hmm. And so, the idea of having that become something that's that makes all of that happen. Is is, you know, uh, I look at the people that have that have that I've met in my life, and the opportunities that have that I have that no one knows about, and uh, and I kind of like it that way. That give me the uh, ability to be able to do things uh, every day that make a difference, and you know, I always liked in the scriptures well where the where it talks about it would make the difference to this one. Hmm. And so when you can do something for one, the Lord will put in your path others that need whatever it is that you do that makes a difference from doing that. So, yeah. And do you feel like you 
you just learned that or you came with it or you? Well, everybody, yeah, we all come with potential to certain things in our lives. But more importantly, uh, I can, having been, and part of the description of what you were, we interrupted while you're going through that, yeah. is that uh, when, well, I was, at the time of this accident, I was, I was over a church, over the, a, a branch and a, and a married couples in a, at the University of Utah that mm-hmm. were, that were um, in need of, of caring for this one branch that worked with, with married couples was over the ecclesiastical needs yeah. every Sunday over the University of Utah Hospital. Oh. And in that, we would, we would have all these people with every, every religious background, every kind of tragedy. We'd have the prisoners from the prison that were, had something that went wrong with them yeah. and everything. And, and Sundays, the chaplain that was paid by the church, by the uh, hospital, by the university, I guess. Uh, he he didn't work on Saturdays or Sundays. He's like, I'm taking it off. <laughs> well, it just, just, it, you work yeah, five days a week, sense. you get two days that off. That makes sense. Anyway, so we had the opportunity to do that. And I had the, the distinct privilege of being the ecclesiastical leader of these people. And they would come back and say, Brother Brooks, you need to go talk to these people or that person. And that's another whole podcast, but yeah. I won't take you down that road. But yeah. I had, it opened the door to do things that, that I was, I've been able to continue to do with the authority of doing so. It's kind of like the Savior sending a curveball to the Sadducees lawyer. And when he asked, which is the greatest, wh- wh- what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he just simply says, thou shalt. He goes on and says other things, but he says, thou shalt love. Skip has had many opportunities in his life to help and give to so many individuals. He's been given much and he gives much. Our conversation continued on. However, In a turn of events that I had no idea was coming for me the next day after recording this podcast with Skip, I want to add to his thoughts about the generosity of our Father in Heaven who allows us to feel pain, but gives us answers and comfort before we ever know we need it. When Skip shared his witness that God gives us answers and comfort before we ever know we need it, Skip and I recorded this episode on November 9th. I was excited to chat with him and have him share with you some of his life experiences and to discuss giving and generosity. Skip's experience of choosing the one book out of this massive collection of books that told the story of a woman who'd lost her husband in the war and buried her children with a spoon by the side of the road when she was traveling away from all of the danger in Germany was with literally nothing of material means left. And then she turns to a brand new apostle of the Lord, Ezra Tafmanson, and asks her question, And Skip's question, not yet asked. What happens to my family after they die? What happens to Lizzie after she dies? His response, I promise you in the name of the Lord that every blessing that they would have had if they'd sojourned on this earth will be given them. To read this the night before Skip's precious wife and daughter were killed in an accident brought Skip so much peace and continues to do so. I can see that in him. The day after we recorded that podcast, I was at lunch with a friend when I saw a text come through that my dad was not feeling well and my sister Vicky was taking him to the ER to see what was going on. And she promised to let us know when she got any information. I finished lunch, 
went home, and packed for an overnighter that I was headed to with some neighborhood friends. As I was heading out of town, I decided to stop at the hospital and just see how my dad was doing. By this time, my other sister Cindy had arrived and the three of us, with my mom who arrived shortly after me, sat with dad as they took all different kinds of tests. When I arrived, he seemed very tired but also aware that we were there. My dad was 88 years old and his body was showing his age. However, the doctors assured us that he was going to be just fine. Although each doctor suggested that he was going to have some difficult things that he would have to deal with when he left the hospital. As the evening wore on, Dad seemed very tired and at times incoherent, which was not common for him. But when we questioned the doctors, they said that his kidneys weren't functioning well, but they believed by doing a few procedures this would help his kidney function better. Cindy, Vicky, Mom, and I sang around his bed the songs of our childhood, which one of my brothers suggested may have not been a good idea. <laughs> but actually, on one occasion, when we stopped singing, Dad started to hum the song that we had just sung. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. He was asleep, but awake when he needed to be. After many tests, they admitted him, telling us that he would likely be there for a few days before he came home. The doctor's last words to us before we left were, We have a lot of very sick patients here, and Leon is not one of them. He's sick, but I wouldn't consider him one of our sickest patients. We were grateful to hear that. As we began to leave, Mom went over and hugged and kissed Dad and told him goodbye and that she loved him and would see him in the morning. Cindy and I said, We love you, Dad, as we walked out of the room. Vicky was the last to leave, and she heard him say, I love you. We planned a time to meet back there the next day to visit and to be with him. The next morning, around 7 a.m., I decided to go for a walk. As I started on my regular route, I had a quick thought that if I walked to the hospital and back, that'd be about the same length as my regular walk. So I thought I'll, I'll just go check on Dad and say good morning and let him know that we're all planning to come back at 11 to visit. Mom had set up a breakfast earlier that week because our brother Douglas was going to be in town for just one day. So instead of going to breakfast, we were just going to go meet at Dad's room and chat there. I arrived at the hospital, went up to the sixth floor, and turned the corner to go to his room. There was a nurse standing there, and she asked if I was there to see someone. Yes, I told her. Oh, what room? I told her I was going to see my dad. Oh, what room is he in? 603. She looked at me and said, Have you spoken to your mom this morning? No, I responded. Are you the daughter that I just spoke with on the phone? No. And then it dawned on me. I asked her with some panic in my voice, Did he die? With loving concerned eyes, she nodded her head and said, he did. Just a little bit ago, I was shocked. We'd left the night before feeling confident that we would see him again. She put her arm around me as she walked me down to his room and closed the doors. I walked in and had a very tender goodbye to my dad. Death does not scare me. I feel very aware that death is a part of our very human experience. But to have someone that meant so much to me die was new for me. To walk into his room felt so surreal, so shocking, so familiar, so connecting. I walked over to his bed, and I put my hand on his chest, and he felt very much alive. He looked the same as he did the night before when we left. 
for context, my dad wasn't a big feeler. I don't remember ever having an experience where I sat and he just held me or I him. I'm sure that happened when I was young, but I don't remember it. He was a very practical man, a realist. He was not practiced at feeling, and feelings did not come easy to him. And sometimes my ability to feel was uncomfortable for him. However, it felt very natural and so sweet to me to sit on his bed, and for the next several minutes, I laid my head on his chest, and I told him how much I loved him. I apologized for all the things I'd done that may have been hurtful or frustrating to him. I wanted him to know how grateful I was for everything he had ever done for me. I couldn't believe the timing. Less than 48 hours earlier, I was talking with Skip, recording his experiences with losing his wife and daughter. He shared the answer to the only question he would ever have given to him before he ever asked it. I already knew the generosity of our Father in Heaven before Skip shared that experience with me, but I was amazed at the peace that came over me through my tears of the reality of a life after this life and that this life is just a part of our eternal existence. Death is actually another door. I heard Skip share that, and now I was having my own experience with it. To feel loss, we have to, we have, to have loved. To lose someone that we love is painful. I know many individuals who do not allow anyone close to them emotionally because they don't want to feel the pain of loss, either through death or other means. They don't want to grieve. The day before my dad's funeral, I I attended a funeral, a loved one of my sister and brother-in-law. A few days after my dad's funeral, I attended the funeral of a neighbor. Also, a friend of mine was driving from the Provo area back to her home in Alpine on the day before my dad's funeral, and she said, I swear every church I'm passing has a funeral going on. So much loss. So much grief. What is grief? Burley McCoy from NPR News shared this. When we have the experience of being in a relationship, the sense of who we are is bound up with that other person. The word sibling, the word spouse implies two people. And I would add the word daughter. And so when the other person is gone, we suddenly have to learn a totally new set of rules to operate in the world. The we is as important as the you and me. And the brain, interestingly, really does encode it that way. So when people say, I feel like I've lost a part of myself, that's for a good reason. The brain also feels that way, as if it were, and codes the we as much as the you and the I. Grief is that emotional state that just knocks you off your feet and comes over you like a wave. Grieving necessarily has a time component to it. Grieving is what happens as we adapt to the fact that our loved one is gone, that we're carrying the absence of them with us. And the reason that this distinction makes sense is grief is a natural response to loss. So we'll feel grief forever. A woman who lost her mother as a young person is going to experience that grief on her wedding day because it's a new moment where she's having a response to loss. End quote. I appreciated this description because I've experienced this many times in the last month. Just this last week, I was visiting my son and daughter-in-law and I was walking along the beach and the thought popped into my mind, dad would love this. He would love the beauty of it the green on the mountains and the white caps of the waves. I felt the loss and allowed myself to cry, to grieve. 
back to Burley McCoy's thoughts. But grieving means that our relationship to that grief changes over time. So the first time, maybe even the first 100 times, you're knocked off your feet with grief. It feels terrible and awful and unfamiliar. But maybe the 101st time you think to yourself, I hate this. I don't want this to be true. But I do recognize it. And I do know that I will get through the wave. End quote. Accepting the loss of our loved one is critical to healing. When we argue with what is, we will always lose. Always. And in losing, we can also lose those who are still living because we're unavailable to connect with them when our grieving never shifts to healing. Back to the quote. Adjusting to the fact that we'll never again spend time with our loved one, my addition on this earth, can be painful. It takes time and involves changes in in the brain. What we see in science is if you have a grief experience and you have support so that you have a little bit of time to learn and confidence from the people around you, that you will, in fact, adapt, end quote. There is not one way to grieve or a right way to grieve. I have six siblings and a mother that are still living. Skip had eight children who were still here with him when Charmaine and Lizzie passed. I'm guessing none of them grieve the same. This acronym may be helpful for all who are grieving. I just was thinking of the word loss. If you take the L from loss, listen to yourself. When I was walking on the beach and I thought of my dad, it just came into my mind and I thought, oh, he would love this. I allowed myself to feel it. I wasn't afraid that it was going to ruin my trip or that I was somehow going to not be able to recover from it. I'm very aware that feelings scientifically really last about 90 seconds. So listen to yourself. Allow yourself to feel it. Oh, open your heart and mind to feeling. S, share with someone you trust how you feel. I loved from that article that we can adjust, especially if there's someone who is aware and walking with us through that grieving process. And then the other S, surrender what you can't control and accept the outcome. This is very hard to do because when we accept the outcome, we either have to feel the pain or stuff it deep inside of us which causes all kinds of emotional pain in other areas of our life. When I started this podcast, I thought we were talking about generosity, and I had a vision of what I was hoping we could address with Skip. What I've learned over this past month is that generosity and loss can go together. A few weeks after Skip and I recorded this podcast, he found the video that they showed at Lizzie and Charmaine's funeral of Lizzie dancing. She's dressed in a white suit, and the background is black. Lizzie moves effortlessly across the stage for a few minutes, and then she dances off the stage just like she was walking into another place or space. It's like it was choreographed for that very moment, like somehow she wanted to communicate that she hasn't stopped dancing. She's just dancing in another space. I believe, and I know Skip believes as well, that she likely is still skiing and dancing in another realm. When we die physically, our spirits return to the Father and Mother of our spirits and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue to live, 
We continue to learn, grow, and progress if we choose to. I've believed this for as long as I can remember, but with the passing of my father, it's like I know it on a different level. He lives. Charmaine and Lizzie live. At the end of my conversation with Skip, he shared that after the funeral, they'd invited many people to their house, and at some point in that day, they looked up and there was a double rainbow in the sky. He referred that to that as a very sweet gift from God, a tender mercy. Interestingly, when my family was leaving the cemetery on November 18th, after burying my dad, we too saw a double rainbow in the sky. It felt like a gift, a signature of love and awareness. And one more thought about generosity and loss. My dad would often greet me instead of saying, Hi, Christy, he'd start singing, Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you lately that I care? Well, on Friday, late afternoon, when I was getting ready to meet my mom and siblings and their spouses and partner for the viewing, I turned on my favorite playlist, but wasn't really listening to it, when I suddenly realized that Michael Buble was singing, Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you lately that I care? Gratefully, I was doing my hair and hadn't done my makeup yet. It felt like a direct message from both of my father, God the Father, and my wonderful father who had just passed. Generous? I'd say so. So with a topic such as grief and loss and generosity all mixed into one, what might you work on this week? What if you just got curious? Is my nature to be generous? If not, why? What am I afraid of? Have I had loss that I've not chosen to or known how to grieve? If so, find a therapist or a coach or a dear friend and start talking about it. Just talk about it. It's a wonderful way to start. If you aren't sure if there are things you have not allowed yourself to feel, ask someone you trust. Does it seem to you that I have a hard time feeling or connecting with feelings? If the answer is yes, Trust that you can heal, that you can move through the grieving process. Grief comes not from just death. It comes from many life experiences. We can choose to heal through that process. I'm grateful to Skip for his willingness to come and chat with me about his life experiences. He is wise and kind, and I'm grateful for his friendship. You'll have many choices in your day and in your week. I hope you'll choose to do the work. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, share a written experience, or ask me a question, go to coachchristy.life and fill out the podcast questionnaire and we'll be in touch with you soon. There are no dumb questions or experiences, just opportunities to learn and do the work. Have a great week.